Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome back to another episode of the Career Contessa podcast, your shortcut to being more fulfilled, healthy, and successful at work. I'm your host, Lauren McGowan, and I'm very excited to share today's conversation with Dr. Lisa Orbe Austin. She's a psychologist, executive coach, and author, and she's an expert on all things imposter syndrome. We discuss the three reasons why people develop imposter syndrome, the five types of leaders that can trigger imposter syndrome the most, and even some specific interview questions you can ask to make sure that you're not about to go work for another toxic leader. And now this is the Career Contessa podcast. When you struggle with imposter syndrome, it can become easy to get trapped into an unhealthy cycle in your career and lose focus of your goals. One of the ways to help you overcome or at least recover from imposter syndrome thoughts is understanding your own patterns and triggers. And here's the fun part. Many times the trigger could be your boss. Aren't we all lucky? So to help us learn how to identify our imposter syndrome triggers is Dr. Lisa Orby Austin, who is a licensed psychologist, executive coach, and author of Your Unstoppable Greatness. Dr. Lisa, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. All right, Dr. Lisa, tell us a little bit about your background and why it was important for you to write a book that you know, sort of did focus on imposter syndrome or at least had a lot of that in it with, with the advice you're giving. Yeah. So I'm a psychologist and executive coach um, probably for the past 15 years. I've been in private practice working with high potential managers and executives. And the reason why my area of expertise is imposter syndrome is because I had it myself and I, I dealt with it throughout my educational career. And it tracked me even finishing my doctorate and into my first jobs. And I actually had a really toxic boss. And I talk about this in my TEDx talk, but you know, I had a really toxic boss. I had a, I was paralyzed, felt like I couldn't leave the job. I couldn't change jobs because my imposter was telling me that I would never get anything better, that this was as good as a god, that nobody else would want me. All of these narratives that imposter kind of engenders. And I just kept putting up with it. And it kind of kept getting worse until I was in a meeting largely female, actually completely female senior team. And there was music playing in the background. And my toxic boss at the time said, somebody asked, what's that music that's playing in the background? And he said, it's music to soothe the savage breast. And in that one moment, I just decided that I just can't live with this thing anymore. I'm not going to stay here. I can't, I have to really face it. And so I quit the job and really head on faced my imposter syndrome and really started to deal with it very head on. 
because I just was like, this is a pattern for me and I need to stop it. And I can't keep living like this. And so in doing my own work around it, it became a passion. I started writing about it and that's how the books came about. The editor saw the, the writings and asked me if I would write a book on the topic. And so it's been a passion to be able to free as many people from this costume as I possibly can, because I know what it's like to deal with it. I was going to ask when you are doing your executive coaching, do you find that it comes up all the time, some of the time, none of the times? <laughs> I think in the beginning when I was doing it, it was some of the time and some of the time, not now it's all the time because most right, of the people you're the expert. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Come to specifically to deal with that. So it's more all of the time kind of now, which I really enjoy. I really have always loved a client who's dealt with imposter because there's, there's, they're so amazing and they're so brilliant and capable and there's so much possibility in their lives, but they don't see that. And so part of my work is to help unleash that possibility and give them freedom to utilize that for their own dreams and goals. And that's so, that's so fun for me. Yeah. I want to talk about how we can identify toxic work cultures. I think it's a term that gets thrown around a lot and there's a lot of memes out there that, you know, (laughs) joke about bad bosses and bad workplace, but like at the end of the day, it is work, right? This is not like supposed to be a party with your friends. And so what actually defines a toxic work culture? And maybe what are some things we could look out for to identify? Like, are we actually in this or like, hey, is this maybe just not the right job for us? But the work culture itself is maybe fine. Yeah. So I think, you know, like you had said, like toxic work cultures are sort of a vague term for places where you don't feel like you're thriving because of the culture, not necessarily what you're actually doing, not the work itself, but the actual ways that people function, interact, engage, treat you, treat others. That is sort of what we're looking at. And when we look at imposter syndrome and the particular types of toxic cultures that we're susceptible to, they're usually one of two types. One sort of a codependent work environment where everyone is treated like a family. There's no room for conflict or dissent. There's often a lot of back backroom chit chat, but it's not coming to the fore and being dealt with. Oftentimes, if you're going to want to leave, people think of it as a betrayal. There's a lot of kind of really toxic behavior going on between people, but it's really kind of like, you know, there's infighting and all these things, but none of it's being dealt with. And so that's the kind of one. And the second one is having a narcissistic boss who who kind of really creates this narcissistic dynamic where they're in charge and they're like king or queen of the unit and and they're sort of in whatever they want is what gets what happens they don't allow for other people to grow to thrive it's really about their kingdom and what they're creating they really don't they don't like dissent they don't like to be challenged um they will silence you if you embarrass them like these kinds and the reason why is because oftentimes codependent and narcissistic dynamics underlie why we ended up with getting imposter syndrome And so these things can be familiar to us. And so we often unconsciously are pulled into these kinds of of arenas thinking like, oh, I know this kind of work environment, but we know it for a negative reason, you know, not a healthy and positive reason. So it's almost like you take the job and in the beginning, you're like, I feel good here. I know this, like this is something about this feels familiar. And then maybe later on, as you start to do this work, you're like, oh, I know why this is familiar because yeah. this is like a, a pattern that I have is picking a place that makes me feel like I can never leave or I should be so thankful. Right. Or something like that. Like anytime you ask for something, they make you like the gaslight you into thinking like, wow, you are so lucky. I'm giving you this 1% raise. I cannot believe you're not so grateful. Right. <laughs> exactly. Like, 
Exactly. And it's because it's so familiar, and we've seen it a thousand times before, we begin to think that is all of work. Like all work is like that. And it's not yes. true. We just happen to be more familiar with toxic dynamics and can get pulled into them much more simply. We don't see the red flags and we don't, when we see the red flags and we start to notice them, we don't actually pay attention to them and make other decisions as a result. Yeah. I remember I had a friend that worked at a lot of bad places. And I remember telling her once, especially in like the line of work I do, probably similar to you, where you like see good examples and and bad examples. I was like, you know, work doesn't have to be like this. Like not every place you work is like this. And it just sort of blew her mind because that was all she knew. And, you know, it's almost like I wish we could have this like reality show, which would be very boring of like a healthy workplace. Right. (laughs) So people could be like, oh, wait, this baby does exist. exist. Yeah, Yeah, it does exist. When you've been through these kinds of work environments over and over again, you really, you really truly believe there's nothing healthy about work. Work is always like this. So when you see the signs, you're just like, this is just what work is. You, you don't start to recognize, no, this is a toxic workplace and I don't have to be in one. I was thinking too, like, what if you are the toxic person? Like, what if your <laughs> imposter syndrome gets so bad that then like you become like in the codependent example, like you start to become that toxic person who's doing the gossiping and the, you know, the lunchroom and that kind of thing. I, I would, I would imagine imposter syndrome can graduate to more levels. Yes. And actually there, we have a whole chapter in the new book about sort of the leadership pitfalls around imposter syndrome, because, because it's sort of creating this feeling that you don't belong, that you potentially are a fraud, that you're not good enough. You can, as a leader, engage in behaviors that are problematic. For example, you can be very micromanaging because you're very concerned about how your direct reports reflect back on you. Mm-hmm. You can be kind of very difficult around mistake making because you're very worried about what that mistake will do for you or your leadership or your opportunities. So we can have these pitfalls around our own leadership that we have to be very conscious of because we can fall into them thinking that we're doing the right thing or thinking that we're being like, you know, sitting on the moral high ground, but oftentimes we are actually creating toxic work environments around us. So yes, it is incredibly important to recognize that it doesn't only affect you, but it affects how you lead and how you manage others. Wow. It's uh, it's it's a slippery slope for sure. How can you understand your own patterns and the, how they play out in interpersonal relationships at work? I mean, like what, what's step one in understanding, okay, is this person triggering my imposter syndrome? What's my pattern with this stuff? I mean, where do you start with all this type of work? So we typically start in figuring out how did it all get started? How did your imposter syndrome get started? Because oftentimes people are like, I don't know how I got this thing. Everyone has it or says these things, but actually there are real reasons why somebody actually develops these things. So for example, sort of looking at sort of the origin means sort of looking at early family dynamics and childhood roles that you may have been sitting in unbeknownst to you. And they have sort of set the groundwork for the imposter syndrome developing. For example, there are three types of childhood roles people are often in when they have imposter syndrome. One is that they were the intelligent one in the family. So they were the one who is really smart. And as a result of that, everything should have come easy to them. So when things were hard, they started to feel like, oh, well, see, I'm not as smart as everyone thinks I am. It was the burgeoning of this idea of fraudulence. But they didn't sort of realize everyone has to, even as smart as, no matter how smart you are, you have to work on things. That's just the nature of developing and growing. The second type is the hardworking type. Oftentimes in these cases, somebody else was assigned the intelligent one. So you became the one who had to grind in order to get things done. And so it became this idea that nothing came easy to you. Everything was the grind. You never got to see your natural skills or talents, never got to see them as a real thing. But oftentimes we see also a correlation between the hardworking type and people who have had learning differences or learning difficulties. 
and sort of feeling like they, in order to kind of catch up with their peers, they had to overfunction. And even when they get the help, they still overfunction. And then the third type is survivor. So this is when your parent or caregiver wasn't giving you feedback around being intelligent or hardworking, either for because of abuse or neglect. And for you, achievement meant escaping, getting out of the circumstance you were in. And so everything feels very fragile. If you, it, you know, you're always afraid to lose what you have in front of you because it means it could completely all go away, which often isn't true, especially when you're more senior in your career, but it always feels like that. So these kinds of roles can then lead to certain patterns of the way we show up at work. So if we're the intelligent one, we always have to be the know-it-all at work and always know the most and, and never, you know, kind of feel like we can say we don't know something or, or, or learning something. If we're the hardworking one, we're always, you know, busting our butts at work and working overtime and 80 hours and 90 hours. Like we just know that's the way we show up, you know. And so these kinds of things are part of understanding then how we how we came to be who we are in our workplace and why the patterns look the way they do. Mm-hmm. So would a person maybe like track their, you know, relationships or their interactions, their interpersonal interactions with people at work for like a week or a month or something and to try to determine like, I mean, maybe just hearing you explain that people understand. They're like, I know when I was listening, I was like, oh yeah, I'm kind of a mix of like two and three. And if I'm sure <laughs> if I did more work, I could nail that down even more. But I wonder if people just hearing that can recognize and then I, I, I guess like, or tracked to understand like, okay, when I interact with this person, I really struggle to be wrong. Or when I interact with this person and they micromanage me, I feel like they're about to fire me. Like, why do I have this feeling of like, it's going to go away tomorrow? Right. Yep. Yeah. And I think that's, you're trying to sort of understand the the layers of sort of what happened to get it started that are unique to you and then connect that to what's happening at work. So how does, we don't want to necessarily look back at this, just blame people or kind of be like, oh, this is how it got started. (laughs) Yes, we do. But we want to connect it to our current day living so that we can understand, okay, this is why I get drawn into this. And what we sort of challenge people to do is kind of then how do we broaden the roles and, and the ways in which we show up at work? It's okay to ask questions. It's okay not to know. You can still be an expert and mess up. You know, these yeah. two things can, can coexist. But when we have imposter syndrome, we think in very black and white terms. And so we're trying to help people broaden the ways that they show up at work with roles that are m- much more complex than the ones they were potentially assigned or told could be successful. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. This Small Business Month, we've teamed up with Adobe Express to bring you the tips and tricks to use today to elevate your business or brand. Our Small Business Tip of the Week is to utilize available resources and maximize your dollars. As you've heard on this episode, it's super important to save time and money where you can when starting or running a small business. For example, you don't need to be a designer in order to generate professional quality marketing or trendy content like social media posts. A tool like Adobe Express can serve as your own marketing team, and the best part is that it's available for free. It makes designing content so easy. Seriously, it is made for anyone regardless of skill level. I actually do a lot of graphic design at my job, and even I enjoy using Adobe Express as a quick and easy free tool. With Adobe Express, you don't have to start designs from scratch. Instead, you have a head start on any project you're working on and can get inspiration from thousands of free templates that you can customize to fit your brand's aesthetic. There are templates for everything you need to get you started, from designing your logo to social content, flyers, and more. And with Adobe Express, you can edit everything all in one place easily, including removing photo backgrounds, animating text, and adding your brand color scheme to any asset with one push of a button. 
It's all efficient and most importantly, free. Whether you are an entrepreneur, small business owner, leader, influencer, or career-driven superstar, you can all expand your marketing division and start creating today free with Adobe Express available on all your favorite app stores. There are also plenty of other tips and tricks to get you started at adobe.com express. There is nothing worse than going to a doctor's appointment, expecting to be the center of attention, and then your doctor seems like they have better things to do and better places to be. Instead of listening to you intently, asking you how you feel, and helping you along, the doctor is checking the clock. It's the worst feeling ever. Well, on ZocDoc, you'll find quality doctors who focus on you, listen to you, and prioritize you. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. No more doctor roulette or scouring the internet for questionable reviews. With ZocDoc, you have a trusted guide to connect you to your favorite doctor you haven't even met yet. Millions of people use ZocDoc's free app to find and book a doctor in their neighborhood who is patient-reviewed and fits their needs and schedule just right. When you're not feeling your best and just trying to hold it together, finding great care shouldn't take up all of your energy. That's where ZocDoc comes in. Using their free app that millions of users rely on, you can find the right doctor that meets your needs and fits your schedule. Book an appointment with a few taps in their app and start feeling better faster with ZocDoc. Go to ZocDoc.com Contessa and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash Contessa. ZocDoc.com slash Contessa. Let's talk about the managerial types that really trigger this imposter syndrome too. I mean, part of this is obviously your own work, right? So recognizing when you have it, how the pattern, whatnot, but which types of bosses should we also watch out for? Because they're going to really trigger it more than, than somebody else. Yeah. So we talk about these five types of bosses. The first one being perfectionistic bosses, bosses who are really caught with the one mistake that you made and not sort of the holistic kind of stuff that you've done or contributed to. Right. They can be very focused on kind of like perfection is the goal insecure bosses. So these are bosses who are not comfortable in their position. And so as a result, they're very concerned about the way you'll represent them. So they can get very overly involved in the way that you show up and how you show up. And it has to look like them. Erratic bosses. So these are bosses who show up um, one day loving your work, the next day hating it. They're very hard to predict. The goalposts are always moving around in directions that are really hard to understand. And so you're constantly very attuned to them, trying to make sure that you're showing up in the right way for them prove it to me bosses. These are bosses who are really caught up with like sort of saying like, you're only as good as your last project. You're only as good as the last thing you've shown me. And so you're constantly trying to up the game every single time to kind of get them to recognize that you're good enough. And then lastly, the withholding boss, the withholding boss is the boss that, you know, sort of says, unless you kind of knock it out of the park, I'm not going to like comment or give you positive feedback. And they're sort of seeking for you to constantly pursue them for that positive feedback by kind of really doing more and more and more. And so those are generally the types that we see that are most triggering of imposter, making you feel not good enough, making you feel like you're a fraud, making you feel like um, you're not, you know, capable of being where you're at. Wow. I, I mean, I feel like you articulated those so well. And I feel like there are people right now who are, I think if you have one of these bosses, when you hear it articulated, 
and explained like that, you're like, my boss is number two. My boss is number three. And if you're not, what if you're listening to this and you're like, well, I'm not really sure if my boss is one of those. Does that mean that maybe you have a somewhat healthy boss relationship? Yeah. I mean, there are other toxic bosses that were that I'm not probably talking about here. Yeah. I'm mostly talking about the ones that I, that I see as the number one, like kind of, or the high ranking triggers for you might have a, you might have a boss who doesn't trigger your imposter syndrome, but you still struggle with imposter syndrome. I've, I've had that where yeah. I feel like I have a lovely, wonderful boss is like cheerleading me on, but I still am like, I don't belong here. You made a mistake. And that they're not necessarily triggering and I'm having some other trigger from some other place. That's I feel I'm like sometimes to. when your imposter syndrome comes out at work too, if you do have a healthy boss, you're like, well, I got to have someone to blame. Like, again, this is going to be <laughs> someone's fault. And like, you're at the top. And so poor <laughs> bosses, I feel like they do get blamed, you know, when it's good or when it's bad too. But I want to also talk about before we get into some specific interview questions that you can ask to help identify this. You also talked about these leadership pitfalls. So what are the common leadership pitfalls for managers struggling with imposter syndrome? Because they have it too. Yeah. And so I think, yeah, we they see it at all levels. Oftentimes you hear this kind of myth that it's an early career phenomenon. There are no cohort effects in the research. It can go on throughout your entire yeah. career. And so for leaders, what we typically see is the micromanaging component around sort of being overly involved because you're very worried about how people perform and how it reflects on you. The piece around mistake making, really having difficulty utilizing mistakes in a positive way as a learning experience rather than punishing or seeing it as a fault of the person that they're making that mistake. We also see it in oppor- like in opportunities to kind of leverage an award and accolade for the team. So then the team is done. They will tend to kind of like not, not utilize that moment and try to kind of like hide again because they're worried that maybe the team didn't deserve it. Maybe another team deserved it. Maybe someone will complain and say somebody else deserved it more. So they don't want to, they don't want to seek that or they're trying to avoid that criticism. So they don't actually utilize those moments to, to support the team. They also can have difficulty kind of understanding where as a leader that they fall in connection to other leaders, typically kind of rating themselves beneath, you know, how others would rate them. So they can tend to kind of like underestimate their own qual- qualifications, their own kind of ability to actually lead. So they can really show up in ways that, you know, kind of are, insecure and uncomfortable with their leadership as a whole. So those are some of the ones, the ways that they can show up and, and it's oftentimes have trouble advocating, also have trouble with conflict. There are a variety of th- ways that the imposter shows up in actual, their actual management. Yeah. I feel like I could see this happening a lot with like the middle management level too, because you are in the middle. And so you really are caught between these two. And I think what happens a lot with middle managers is they're like, I'm here. Do I want to go to the next step? Can I handle the next step? I'm not good enough for the next step. And so what about some advice on like how for someone who's in management, who really wants to develop more of this, like healthy management style, what are, what are some tips around that? Yeah. I think one of the things is to really be open to what you're struggling with and be able to kind of either deal with it with a coach or deal with it with some support, but really start to talk about the things that are going on with your leadership and figuring out how am I going to actually address this, whether it's my own self-work or work with somebody else. But I think it's so important to kind of be able to say like, I'm not doing X or Y or Z well. Even if you don't have to say it publicly to your manager, you have to say it to somebody that's going to help you actually do it. And I think really trying to then kind of work on some of the, if if it's imposter underlying, work on the actual imposter syndrome stuff that's going on. It's really, you know, people often believe that imposter syndrome is with them forever and they can never get rid of it. And our work has shown that like you can actually get rid of it in a very short period of time, about 14 weeks, you know, you can actually 
reduce it by 30%. So that's pretty significant. So you can actually change it. And there are really concrete skills that you can use because if you don't use them, you're going to affect the way either the, the people, your direct reports are, are able to leverage the work that they're doing with you to actually escalate their own careers. You're going to affect the toxicity and the, the way the, the team is functioning. So I think it's really important to do your own work, to build your own skills and to recognize even in leadership and management, we always don't have it hundred percent right. Yeah. We have to be growing forever. Even yeah. as, even as CEOs and, and senior C-suite people, you should still be growing. You should never be like, I've got this, you know, but there's yeah. nothing wrong with that. There's no, it doesn't mean you're incompetent because you, you're still learning. Like that yeah. actually means you're still alive. Yeah. This is a good thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I'm obsessed with what you said about we can overcome imposter syndrome in somewhat of a short time. I agree. 14 weeks is really not that long in the grand scheme of things. What, what does this mean? Where do we go? Where's this 14 week program? I hope it's on an (laughs) Island also that we get to have like a mini vacation. I wish. (laughs) I know. Tell me about Dr. Lisa. Have you considered buying an Island? Explain this to me because I want, I want to know where, (laughs) where and how we would do something like that. Yeah. So our first book, Own Your Greatness was about the research backed steps that it took to overcome imposter. We actually looked over the 40 years of academic and social science research that had actually studied it. And we, we used some of the interventions that had been most successful. So some of them, although I had mentioned the figuring out how this all got started, trying to understand the origins of your imposter syndrome, try to understand what imposter syndrome looks specifically for you, being able to then, this so we have this nine-step model called the three C's model. And that's the model we've been able to show can reduce it. And we actually do have a boot camp that we give like once or twice a year that, that actually kind of concentratedly gets you to go through it because sometimes with the book, there are hard moments. The yeah. book is very friendly looking, but it's rough. There are some yeah. things you have to face that are not so pleasant. And so we kind of help you through the boot camp actually moved through the steps consistently in a structured way. But it's things like learning how to recognize an automatic negative thought and then how to reframe that automatic negative thought. Learning to kind of not do, we are often our lone wolves. And so learning how to build community and, and, and thoughtful, structured, particular types of community around you as you work on it to, to embed self-care as a, as fundamental into our lives. We're often very burnt out, chronically burnt out, and we don't know how to actually embed self-care. We often do it as like, a if I have a little time, I'll do some self-care. We don't actually know how to see it as fundamental. Doing things like kind of working on those roles and really helping you to def- understand that you might always be a superhero at work or be the, the, the volunteer, but how do you learn to have different roles that make you still valuable on a team, but don't make you feel like you're only valuable if you do X. Yeah. And so really learning to kind of do these things very specifically and actually in, engage them in your work life becomes the way to overcome it. And we've seen it happen time and time again. And, and like I said, in the beginning, like it's so wonderful because oftentimes people who are having posture are really amazing, successful, credentialed, experienced, and they just haven't learned, they haven't internalized it. So they don't actually know what they can do with it. And once they realize what they can do with it, the possibilities are sort of endless and sort of, it's an exciting thing to see people feel their own power. And so I was just thinking like, can you imagine the like smart, successful person who's been doing negative self-talk for 30 years? What happens when they all of a sudden do positive self-talk? Like (laughs) you're probably, you're like, it unleashes this like incredible version of that person, right? It does. And it's so, it's so thrilling because sometimes when you hear, when people come to us, we see them and we're like, oh my God, you're an architect, you're an engineer. You're the, literally, we work with rocket scientists and yeah. they, they're they like, but I'm, you know, I'm awful at what I do and I'm not good enough. And then what they're taking sometimes, I've heard horror stories of people being asked to like clean the floors and like be, be, be treated really 
horribly. And then when they're done, that they look at that circumstance and they're like, no, I'm not, I'm gonna, I'm not gonna clean the floor or I'm not gonna stay here. Like I have opportunity outside of here, but it sort of opens that up in them. And I think that's the piece that's when we see it, it's just we we it's like shocking every time seeing it for the first it's like you're seeing it for the first time, even though yeah. you've seen it a thousand times before. I love that. Okay, so kind of switching gears, but I think the na- natural question is people so you have to deal with your own imposter syndrome. That's sort of part one, no matter what. Part two is maybe trying not to go work for a boss that triggers this imposter syndrome, right? (laughs) So you said that you've got some interview questions that people can ask in their next interview, potentially even maybe start asking to their boss if they're still working there to really to figure out if this person is going to trigger their imposter syndrome. What are those interview questions? Yeah. So I would, I would say it's both interview questions and then do your investigations, use your yeah. network and other people. Cause sometimes people are not going to tell you the truth. And they have these, these, they never these tell answers. you the whole story. <laughs> yeah. yeah. They're going to tell you the best version. My, yes. I love talking to the ex employees too. Cause yes. those are the people who are real. They're not going to sugarcoat. They're it. not going to hold back. You might need to take that with a grain of salt. Cause they <laughs> yes. really aren't going to tell you the best. Right. But yeah. sorry, go on. <laughs> yeah, no, I think that both investigations are so important. So I think you want to ask questions like, you know, when someone makes a mistake on your team, how do you approach it? So you want to hear sort of more of a growth mindset perspective around that. Like we all learn from mistakes. We're all going to make mistakes. You don't want to hear like, there's no room for that. We have no time for that. There's no space for that. You don't want to hear things that kind of really kind of indicate they don't like mistake making because that's pretty problematic for you. You want to also be able to hear things like, tell me how you actually invest in people's growth and development over time. So you really want to, you don't want that narcissistic boss where you're there to kind of do their bidding and make sure that their, their career goes nicely, but yours is like, whatever happens, happens. You work for them. Yeah. Yeah. So you want to hear a plan for how they invest in people's learning and development and actually help them advance. It also is an indicator too, when they can give you concrete examples or tell you, that they're not a codependent work environment because codependent work environments don't want you to go anywhere. They want you to stay put. And so like when they can actually say, yeah, I helped so-and-so become vice president and this is how I did it. You know, when they can actually give like concrete examples, that can be really helpful. You also want to, you know, ask about, you know, the team culture and what is it, what is it like? What are they specifically engaged in around sort of helping to make sure the team has a healthy, happy, functioning culture and look for really concrete examples of what they're doing and not just some fluff because you want them to have an intentionality about how the how how things like conflict are managed or how how the team is managed how they sort of think about culture culture doesn't happen by accident um it is should be around it does happen by accident but it shouldn't it should be intentional the kind of culture you're trying to create you also want to you know ask them about you know work-life balance like how how is this job kind of like how this particular department or how they run things do they kind of support people having a, a personal life and a balance? Because places where that's not the case are, are very inducing of overworked tendencies, which are very central to imposter syndrome. So those are some of the questions that you want to kind of be asking for. You want to be asking pointed questions, trying to get underneath, you know, you know, also too, like performance reviews and feedback. How is that given? You know, how, how often do you give it? How central do you find it to, to kind of developing people? All of this, you want, want someone that wants to give you feedback consistently and, and you're not never surprised by what you hear. You know, it's not like you hear in a performance review for the first time. You want them to be open to giving you both positive and kind of constructive feedback in a helpful way. Yeah, I think feedback and what's interesting about feedback also for the women listening is that oftentimes women are given less specific feedback. So, yeah, subjective. You know, 
Yeah. And it's like, we kind of talked about those, like those ex-employees or when you do their investigation, like that's a really good question to ask whoever you're talking to. Like, do you get specific feedback from this boss mm-hmm. or, you know, are you just given really general feedback? And you mentioned earlier, like the goalpost is always moving or the finish line is always moving. I think that's, I find that a, a big struggle for people when they're unhappy in their job is they lack role clarity too. And yeah. so to your point about that, so that's just a very important thing for women to watch out and listen for too, is like, Hey, is he getting really yes. specific feedback? And I'm being told I'm just doing a good job, which yeah. doesn't really tell me very much. Right. Yep. Or telling you sort of like, we don't like the way you're showing up in the meeting. You're not really, don't have a really yeah. executive presence or you're having trouble with communication, but then there's no concrete description of what's happening in the communication. That's a problem or what specifically around your executive presence and quotes yes. it is really sort of, is really the issue. So yes. we can get a lot of really subjective and negative feedback that we don't know what to do with. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I would, I would love for that to stop. I feel like the, yes, the jargon and the subjective stuff, it just leaves people even more confused and talk about triggering imposter syndrome, right? My goodness. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Dr. Lisa, this was fantastic. You gave us such good concrete examples and good, some good stories in there as well. So <laughs> tell people where they can find you, follow you. Obviously you've got a couple of books, so mention those as well. Yeah. So I'm on Instagram at Dr. Orbe Austin and um, also on LinkedIn and I'm on LinkedIn top voice there. So I'm pretty active and uh, I have a two books, Own Your Greatness, Overcome Imposter and Beat Self-Doubt and Succeed in Life and Your Unstoppable Greatness, Break Free from Imposter Syndrome and Achieve Your Ultimate Career Goals. So those two are Amazing. out. We will put all of those in the show notes. So anybody who didn't have a pen to write that down, don't worry, I'll put those in the show notes. And also if we have it, we'll put some information to your your bootcamp information that you have as well. So yes. amazing. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Lisa. It was my pleasure. Thank you for having me, Lauren. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Career Contessa podcast. Please don't forget to rate and review our show. Also, if you take a screenshot of you listening to this podcast and share it on social media and tag us at Career Contessa, we will be sure to reshare it. Also, Dr. Lisa is sharing a free downloadable resource that I also put in the show notes. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.